Kappa Go for December 15, 2023. Keep up to date with the important happenings in the Go community in 15 minutes per week. I'm Shai Nechmad. And I'm Jonathan Hall. Welcome to the final episode of the year. Yeah, it's time to, I don't know, deck the hall? That sounds like beating you up. Yeah, that's been my family joke for decades. <laughs> well, my name is Nechmad, which means literally nice. So, uh, you know, so I don't have to be we, we both have nouns for, well, actually you have a noun, I have an adjective. Together we make a nice hall. But I'm seeing. All right, uh, we have a whole bunch of stuff to get into today, so let's just kick it off. Let's uh, do it. Crypto SSH. Yeah, there's a security vulnerability that's being fixed on Monday. If you use the golang.org/x/crypto/ssh package, don't sleep until Monday because you need to upgrade as soon as that release comes out. We don't know what it is. Secret security fix. Uh, we will talk about it next year. Next year. Yeah. Oh my god. Um. <laughs> But just make sure to mark your calendars. If you're doing an advent calendar, then you get on on Monday, you get a chocolate and an upgrade. Awesome. Which is better? Oof. I don't really like chocolate because I, okay. I can't do milk or white chocolate. So it's just like bitter. So the, I guess they're both bitter and, yeah. and adult things. If I have more questions about Go, where should I go to? Like this crypto SSH stuff like that, uh, it sounds very complicated. I want to look for some information. Where should I go? The Go Wiki is a great place to go, except it's not really a wiki anymore. You may recall we talked about the proposal to move the wiki from GitHub to go.dev several months ago. It's finally happened. The good news is that means it's more searchable. Google's going to find it. So if you go looking for, like I don't know, some article in the Go Wiki, and you never find it because GitHub pages are not indexed or, or GitHub uh, wikis are not indexed, that will not be a problem anymore. And I think that the searchability is super, super important. Mm-hmm. And also, in general, investing in documentation is almost always worth it. Also, this page is, is a really good, just a bunch of links kind of thing. I really, really like it. Like you open the page, I think there are about 150 links here to books, blogs, best practices, what is hair handling, testing. Sounds like... You know, there's a lot of Go books that might uh, teach you how to learn Go, which we'll get into later in the show. Mm-hmm. But this looks like a really, really good page to just go to. And I also like that the fourth thing listed on the page is the community, which we mention again and again. But one of the strongest things about this language is the community around it. That's kind of supportive. And, and you know what I mean? Yeah. You, you can always find a gopher in your area to, to talk to, whether it's online or in person. So there's a lot of links here, including the subreddit, which I would put rank a lot lower. But uh, <laughs> I guess they think it's a valid part. <laughs> One really important link that, that goes back to something we talked about a few weeks ago. There's a link about how they do code review on the Go project. And the very first section is reviewer parlance. And they define what SGTM means. <laughs> they say it sounds good to me. Unfortunately, they're wrong because we know now from Josh on our own Slack channel that it actually means silently giggling to myself. <laughs> yeah, there were a bunch of good options, but definitely silently giggling to myself was the best one. But I still like uh, smells good to me because <laughs> it means that your code doesn't have any code smells like uh, duplicated code. I like it. Okay, so I marked myself Monday to update SSH. Mm-hmm. And until Monday, I'll go read the new wiki. Uh, what should I do on Tuesday? Then? On Tuesday, 1.22 RC1 is coming out. Oh my God. Yes. And we have the draft of the uh, changelog is out. It's a full of bunch of to-dos. It's very incomplete, but you can go read it if you haven't been following along uh, or if you forgot half the stuff like I did. Go read it to see what's going to be new in February. I'm going to not read it. I'm going to keep myself a bit uh, in the dark. 
because I, I think I, I already know all the proposals just because mm-hmm. we covered a lot of proposals during this uh, half year. And I'll wait to see until they figure out, you know, RC2 and whatever, cool. until all the interesting things are hashed out. All the interesting bugs, I mean. Yeah. Uh, but if you like, you know, tinkering with stuff, you have like a hobby project, you don't mind if it crashes, or you really, really want to check out one of the new features, uh, using the RC uh, versions is a really, really good way for the Go project to get some field time and, and see if it, find bugs and whatever. It's a really, really good contribution to the community. People, we mentioned a lot of extra contributions to open source today, right? Yeah. Documentation is one of them. And just using the thing and reporting bugs is also phenomenally important. So if you have the time. So I'm sorry, Sean, I'm going to spoil one thing for you from the, the release notes because I know you're going to like this one. Mm-hmm. They have improved PGO, Profile Guided Optimization, even more than they did in the past. Woo-hoo. They report anywhere from 2 to 14% performance improvement just by turning on PGO now. That's amazing. I'll, I'll quote uh, the IBM Pollyanna principle here, which is that machines should work, people should think. Machines should do all the hard work, yeah. uh, leaving us to think. Let's move all the hard, annoying work of optimization to the compiler and let's just think about what software we want to write. Let's do it. Well, you spoiled one uh, thing for me, but it, it put me in a good mood. Good. It's a really good thing. <laughs> Speaking of thinking. <laughs> yeah. We want to uh, mention a few proposals uh, and just things we talked about in the past. So we're going to be pretty brief. The links are in the show notes. Uh, but if you listen to past episodes, you should be fine. Uh, and if not, the links are in the show notes. Yeah. So the first thing we want to cover is override constants at compile time, if you remember, we talked about this proposal that I didn't like. I downvoted, yeah. and we sort of had a joke about, oh, do you want to bet if, if it goes away or not? So it's closed with really good reasoning. Um, based on the discussion, it's just too complicated and also possible to do with Go build. And, you know, it doesn't, uh, SGTM doesn't smell good to me. <laughs> so... Um, it doesn't make you giggle? No, not too much. Uh, so there's no way to operate constants in compile time. Which yeah. is good, I think. The proposal was uh, declined. We don't usually talk about declined proposal. Where can it go from being declined? Can it be reopened? Can it, what, what happens when uh, a proposal goes to decline? So generally what happens when a proposal is declined is it's just dead. Although, generally speaking, that same proposal will not be resurrected. However, if you have a new alternative version that solves the same problem that does come up and i almost put it in this week's backlog but i didn't but i'll mention it now uh there was a proposal to add a zero function to the standard library a built-in to kind of replace some of the functionality that was declined in the zero proposal we talked about previously so that's an example of the zero proposal was declined an alternative implementation was proposed it was also ultimately declined but that can happen so you know if somebody comes up with an alternative way to solve this the problems with compile time constants, you know, it might be resurrected or maybe in a couple of years we'll decide that we were wrong about the decision here and someone will reopen a proposal. Yeah, when I'm opening the, you know, the readme on the proposal process and you go to the decline section, there's a few options here. You, it, something can be declined because it's duplicate, which makes sense. We don't mm-hmm. want two proposals on the same thing because we want to consolidate the discussion. Something can be declined as infeasible, like directly contradicts the core design of the language. I think this is more on this like camp. This mm-hmm. is just infeasible for Go because you, when you have a const, you want to trust that it does the thing that it does. Can be retracted. Just someone saying, hey, what I what I proposed wasn't good. I'm, I'm retracting it. And it can be obsolete. Like if the language changed enough. I imagine when generics got in, a lot of uh, proposals were uh, declined as obsolete just because such a major change to the language meant they weren't necessary anymore. 
just as an example. So there's a whole lot of uh, options here. We usually don't talk about the client proposal. So I just want to shed some light into that process as well. Uh, because when something gets accepted, right, we know what's going to happen. They're going to write the code and they're going to test it. They're going to introduce some bugs. Uh, Jonathan's going to discover them. And, <laughs> uh, you know, that's just how the cookie crumbles. Yeah. But on this case, uh, it was declined. And I think it's declined is infeasible. So I don't see it popping up again. We have another one, right? Yeah. So we also talked about this, I think, last week as well. Uh, the proposal to add localization and interna- internationalization support to GoDoc. This one has also been declined. And for a reason that's a little bit unusual... Uh, I, I think. I mean, it, it's not one that I see cited that often. And the basic reason it's been pre- declined is a lack of resources on the Go team to, to to build and support this feature. Yeah, this is just, I think the maintenance cost for the future is, is it can be exponential, right? Because if you support a single language and you support English, then you support a single language. But if you support multiple languages, every single language you add is like a multiplier on the entire maintenance window. And, you know, you probably need someone who speaks Chinese on the Go team to, to right. feel comfortable, right? Uh, and you, someone who speaks Arabic, someone who speaks, I don't know, German, et cetera, et cetera. That's just a really big commitment. Uh, so that was declined as well, but uh, just due to resources. We wanted the, this to, to go on. I wonder if the community can make it happen if it doesn't work with, you know, internal uh, Go team. Maybe there's enough community uh, power to, like, add an IDE plugin to the LSP. That, you know, just shows you the local, like, according to your machine's locale, the correct uh, documentation and tries to, you know, auto translate it on your machine, something like that. Yeah, that'd be nice. If you know, if you know of a project like that, let us know. We'd love to hear about it. We'd love to talk about it on the show. Yeah, 100%. Obviously, both of us know English, uh, some better than others, I would say. Well, we're both at least bilingual, though. Yeah, I'm getting better in my in my Russian. I don't want to okay. brag on the show, but I have 309 days in my Duolingo streak. Nice. And okay. and two visits to the Diamond League, so I'm. I'm so you're I'm trilingual because pretty... you speak Hebrew, obviously, as well. Yeah, and malinki paruski. Okay. Okay. And I speak I speak Spanish fairly well and a little bit of Portuguese, although that's getting worse every day because I don't I don't practice it. You need to start practicing Hebrew then. <laughs> there we go. Didn't have enough to do in the week. One thing you said, support localization and internalization. Aren't those different things? Yes. Like what? one is from the vendor and one is from the, on, on the client side? Yeah, so, so internationalization is the, uh, adding the ability in your code to support multiple languages or locales. It could be currencies or, or whatever. Localization is then creating the local version of that for each locale or each language that you want. So there, there are two sides of the same point. Oh, so what we actually ask from the Go team is internalization infrastructure and support for localization in like one or two languages other than English just to make the infrastructure worth it. Probably, yeah. yeah. All right, all right. I got it. It's also spelled, if you sometimes see it online, it's sort of like uh, Kubernetes where it's K8S. So international internationalization is one eighteen n, which is just I eighteen n, yeah, yeah. What did I say? You said one eighteen n. That would be even more complicated. <laughs> <laughs> That's why smarter people than me do internationalization. <laughs> All right. One last thing we want to mention: uh, if you remember, we talked about dead code a whole bunch. Uh, we mentioned it. Uh, you know, Jonathan has been using it in production already for a while from the experimental package, and it's slowly been sneaking its way into more standard processes. And now uh, we have a blog post about it as well, finding unreachable functions with dead code, uh, which was released like three days ago. And instead of going through the blog post and trying to skim through it, I'll just say the example because it's very, very understandable in my opinion. What happens if you have a helloer and a goodbyer, but you never call the goodbyer? 
in your code. If you run dead code, it's going to say, hey, the function goodbye is unreachable, which is just great feedback because it's going to like market in your IDE as like grayish and you can just delete a dead code, which I really like. One thing I'm wondering, maybe you face this in your, you know, in your usage already. Sometimes you do tend to have code that is unreachable, but you want to keep it because you're like, you know, stacking a bunch of pull requests together and you don't really want to delete everything that is dead code because you know, like tomorrow you're going to fix that, right? Did you run into that edge case while while working with dead code? I have. How do you circumvent that? I often just create like a, a blank variable that references it <laughs> or calls it with a comment, you know, dead code defeat or something like that. I'm wondering, because you wouldn't want to market as, you don't want to develop something that uses it, because that's just more dead code to delete later. Yeah. But on the other hand, you don't want it to be a warning, because if there's dead code, there's dead code. I'm wondering if it's a better tool to run periodically on main, rather than be a part of the lint and like run it all the time. Like just run it once a week on 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 main and then clean up, like yeah, open up a small pull request that cleans up. That might be better. One potential problem with that might be that uh, something it's maybe it's temporary or, or, or something you've created that you're not using yet. And you've created that. I come along and I clean it up and then now you go back. And like, where did it go? So that, that could be a problem. Uh, it would be better if you could just tell the dead code eliminator that this is temporary. I'll be adding the, the, the thing that calls it on Tuesday. Yeah, I, I assume there's probably some way to, to market as such. And the easiest way is just to run it from some temporary main and you can do that most libraries have tests as well mm-hmm. and you if you want you can run dead code with minus tests as well uh, so i guess an easy way is to make sure you have good test coverage yeah. and then when you run it with minus tests it ch- it checks from like go test as well mm-hmm. which is uh, you know generates a bit more coverage if you have more tests so a good way to market could be to have an empty test it just calls it it does nothing you could do that yeah. uh, or if you're even a better developer write the test ahead of time right hey that's an idea <laughs> so go check out the blog post and you know start just integrating dead code into your code bases. Could be a good idea. All right. Well, we have just a couple more things to round out uh, the year's news. One, you may recall, we I had a conversation a few weeks ago with uh, Manuel de la Peña, the uh, maintainer of the Go test containers package. He has a new boss, apparently. <laughs> Docker has acquired... He's got to or- have a whale of a time. <laughs> Sorry, it took, it, it took me a second to find it, but it was there. <laughs> Oh, no, they did it as well. The, the blog is called Docker Whale Comes Atomic Jar. <laughs> so there we have it. So Docker is acquiring uh, Atomic Jar, or the makers of test containers. So there's a big blog post about it with some FAQs. Uh, you can go read it. It's not a big blog post. It's a short blog post, but you can go read it. But it seemed relevant to mention since we've been uh, talking about test containers. I use test containers on, I, I think, three projects right now. One open source project and two, two of my clients' projects. Uh, I think it's a great project. It makes testing easier especially when i write my tests first mm-hmm. um yeah and cool. if you're using it like jonathan uh from reading the faq it seems like they were very concerned about short and medium term nobody has to worry it's going to stay open source and if you use a uh, test containers cloud you're going to be fine there are no plans to discontinue so it sounds like at least the person who made this purchase know knows uh, how to handle the projects that are incoming but you know as always with with uh, these sorts of uh, mnas it's worth keeping an eye out on test containers, seeing if it's, it's a decline because it's going to Docker and perhaps it's less prioritized or if it's going to get a boost, right? It gets a really good ecosystem. There are a lot of good people working at Docker and, you know, this sort of shift left focus in a lot of companies, including, you know, 
the company I work for, everybody's trying to reach to, to the problems earlier mm-hmm. uh, and find them in the code and tell the developers, hey, you need to look here and you need to look there. Uh, seems like Docker are going that direction as well in other projects, not just uh, Atomic Jar. So could be a really good M&A. I, I think it's a good fit. Let's hope they don't do the corporate thing and ruin my, it for everyone. My, my prediction is that we will get some great engineering on this project for a couple of years, and then they're going to switch to Go Test Containers desktop licensing and screw everybody up. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> uh, you know, If there is, we can always fork. Uh, and we already know the, the, the playbook by now, right? right yeah, now it's we know Atomic a good group jar. of people to do that. So we need someone to fork and we need someone to find a vegan name for it. Like we had open, <laughs> we had Terraform, now we have open tofu. We have a test containers and we could have like... Takeaway uh, containers to go with the tofu. Takeaway containers, nice. <laughs> um, so, so if someone wants to fork because they're already angry about the acquisition, there's your name. You can use it uh, free of charge. And yeah, one last thing we want to mention: takeaway containers. That's really good. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, one last thing we want to mention is uh, books. So Jonathan is more of a the technical uh, worm book than I am. I'm still really hard working my way through designing data intensive applications. I'm really digging down and reading every single page and doing the summary and whatever. But while I'm taking my time. Uh, Jonathan's been tearing through books. So we have two to mention today. One searchable one, which is Learn Concurrent Programming in Go, which you can just go look up. We also have it in the uh, show notes. What's that book about? It's probably not going to surprise you. It's about learning concurrent programming with Go. You just blew my mind. I know, I know. I guess one of the important lessons is concurrency is not parallelism, right? Yeah, yeah. I wonder if it like opens with a huge quote of that. Or something. Yeah, I have. I don't have my copy yet. I would love to review this book uh, in in detail at some point, um, but I have too many others on my list right now, so it'll be a while. Well, luckily you have two weeks off to catch yeah, up. Right, I have plenty of time <laughs> now. So James Cut a Jar. I hope I said that right. Wrote this book, released last year from Manning. It looks like a good book. Manning always re- makes good books, in my opinion. So they're mm-hmm. goldmine of good knowledge. So I think the main again with this book with these sorts of books, the main point is to try and take away both general ideas and like a combo of general ideas and some concrete techniques. And it looks like this book tries to walk that uh, balance, at least from the, um, you know, from the description. Mm-hmm. You, on the one hand, it like tells you about common pitfalls. On the other hand, you learn about like patterns. What is pipelining? What is worker pulling? Stuff like that. Uh, so that's one recommendation. And the other one is completely unsearchable. Which is Learning Go. Learning Go. So uh, if you want to learn more about this book and what went into it, stick around for the interview. Unfortunately, Shai didn't join the interview because of my screw up uh, in sending the invite from the wrong email address. But I interviewed the author. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I missed it. But I- I'll listen. <laughs> so I had the, the pleasure of interviewing John Bodner, the author of this book. His second edition of Learning Go is coming out in January. The first edition came out in 2021. The second edition has new chapters, 100 new pages, uh, updated information about generics, and a whole bunch of cool things. And uh, 9 out of 10 animal on the cover. Yes. You know yeah. how O'Reilly has these uh, pencil drawings of animals on mm-hmm. the cover? Really, really good one. Yeah. It is just a gopher, right? It's a gopher. I, I, I think I only know it as a blue animal, but I guess in, in nature, it's not blue. I think it's a North American pocket gopher. <laughs> I completely yeah. made that up. I have no idea what the species it is, but it's a specific species, I'm sure. <laughs> it looks very cute, which is a good uh, thing to put on your... So stick around for that interview. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for joining us all year. If, if you're new to the show, we're glad you've joined us. Uh, we have. I'll just take a moment to say I've been blown away by the response to the show. Yeah. I'm looking forward to our second year in it. 
yeah, we're, 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 we might do even a second season thing with a new theme and whatever. We'll see. But we are taking some time off. We will see you again in 2024. So if you celebrate Christmas, Merry Christmas. If you celebrate Novigod, uh, Snovum Godden, anything else? Any other uh, New Year celebration kind Just of thing? Happy holidays is the way to cover everything, right? That's nice. Happy holidays. Yeah. Uh, and if you're doing Advent of Code, good luck. Don't cheat. Don't use AI. <laughs> Uh, and stick around to hear our ad break in the interview. We're going to talk about some some of our show statistics during the ad break. So if you're curious about that sort of backstage detail, stick around. Yeah, we'll see you next year. Bye. Bye, everyone. All right, welcome to our ad break. If you're a new listener, there's a few places you can check out to connect to the community of the show and talk to us a bit more. And the premier entrance hall to that uh, amazing palace is cupogo.dev. That is cupogo.dev, just a website that has all the links and everything you need. We're mostly hanging out in the Gopher Slack. If you haven't joined the Gopher Slack yet, it's a really good community in general if you're a Gopher. It usually has some location-based channels as well. For example, I'm part of uh, Hashtag Israel. Project-based channels as well, like Hashtag Benthos or Hashtag Fine. Hashtag GoKit and also has some more topic focused channels like uh, hashtag performance or hashtag jobs. Yeah. So whatever community or whatever topic you want to connect to in the Go world, that's probably the first location to go to. And we're hanging out at hashtag cup ago with uh, dashes. That's like kebab case. Cup dash o dash go. And if you're an old timer and you just use email, just email us at news at cupago.dev. That is news at cupago.dev. We have new merch out, uh, and you have until the end of the year to uh, use our new coupon code, which is Happy B Day 14, because we felt bad that I missed the ghost 14th birthday. So that's our way to make up. Thanks to a suggestion from a listener, we have some uh, new swag on the shelf. We have a hoodie and we have a shirt. I haven't received mine yet. Um, Jonathan and our editor, Filippo, have their on the way as well. Uh, so if you want to wait for our verdict on it, you can wait until next year and we'll let you know if they're any good or not. But you won't get the discount then. Mm, that's a that's a tough uh, choice. Tough choice. It's a very generic uh, hoodie. So I would bet it is mediocrely comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't went like space grade materials or anything like that. Just like a normal hoodie. Uh, but it, I think it looks fine. At least in the site generated simulations that we got. So that's all the normal ad break stuff out of the way. But we really, really want to nerd out on some numbers. Give us some numbers. All right. So let's start with... This is our Cup of Go wrapped. That's what you're doing right now yeah. with Spotify, right? So let's, let's start with the, what I think is the most important number, which was 4,793. That's how many downloads we had in November. November so far has been our best download month. Ooh. Thank you all. So I, I suspect December won't quite hit that mark because we're not doing as many episodes. Mm-hmm. But I'm looking forward to January breaking another record. Oh, we'll see when we'll start in January. But yeah, 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 yeah. And and people picking it back up. But that's a whole bunch of downloads. And if we're talking about all time, you have almost forty thousand at this point. Uh, another number I think it's worth throwing out there is five hundred and seventeen, and that's the number of downloads we've had during the quote release window for the last episode last week, which is another record breaker. We've never had that many downloads. A release window is the first two days since the, of the episode release. So last week's episode is on on track to break the record as being the most popular episode of all time. So we're definitely on an upward trend. Uh, not every episode is better than the last, but we're on an upward trend. 
yeah, we we're trying not to look into the analytics too much and just keep the show mm-hmm. interesting in a way that we would find interesting and useful. But I don't know. I guess we're doing something that y'all are liking because the numbers have been going up, which is nice. Let's talk about some more nerdy numbers. I have three numbers for you. Okay. 913 plus 818 plus 108. What makes? Um, it sounds like my, my gas bill. <laughs> so uh, we have published 1,839 minutes of show. So if this is like your first episode, you have like 1,800 hours to catch up on, which is interesting because when I recommend people, hey, go check out my show, whatever, very awkward thing to do in general. Like someone just talked to me at work this week on, oh, I need to do some data stuff in Go and I'm wondering if it's going to make sense. It's very awkward to be like, oh, you know, I have a podcast where I just talked about it with someone. Just go listen to the recording. It sounds a bit self-aggrandizing, but it's just, you know, I just talked to someone about that and recorded it so you can check it out. Yeah. But I usually don't recommend people to go check out the backlog. Do you do that or do you just tell people to join on the show? I often, I mean, I, I shouldn't say often, but I have occasionally pointed people to a specific episode where, just like you said, we talked about that topic. Uh, so I, I had that, uh, one of my clients was considering using fast HTTP. So I pointed them to the episode where we had the maintainer who said, don't use fast HTTP. <laughs> 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 so, and I've pointed people to the test containers uh, episode a couple of times. So, you know, th- things like that. I've definitely done that before. So you don't have to catch up on all the backlog because most of it's news and it might be outdated. But at least the interviews are are, are sort of timeless. Maybe we'll like release those as a different, as a separate like package at some point. That's not a bad idea. And there is one more number I'd like to share. We already talked about the the channel. We have two hundred and seventy one participants in the channel, which for me is is a just ungraspable number. I assume like I don't know, maybe a hundred of these people. Just put the channel on mute. They joined because they wanted to post a thing or just because they thought it was fun and they'll never look at it again. Yeah. That still leaves 171 people who check it out occasionally and like clear that notification. And like, I don't know, 10 people that other than yourself and I that regularly post and, and like yeah. have discussions. So that's a lot of fun. For example, someone a quote unquote new, Johan, I guess, you know, on the last episode, we were like, oh, what do you think about Go and simplicity and blah, blah, blah. And he just posted his opinion and he had a really interesting discussion in the exactly in the same way where I would sit with a cup of coffee in my office and talk about Go, which is exactly what I wanted to do. So from that big number of 271 uh, participants to a really good talk over coffee over Slack, that's uh, that's fun. That's good. I have a couple more numbers to share. Ooh. So these are estimates because we don't have numbers on this from all platforms. But I look, I did a cross-reference between Google Podcast, which lets us know how many listen minutes we have on Google Podcast. And I extrapolated that to the number of downloads we've had. So I estimate that we have had 101,086 listen minutes. That's a lot of minutes of Wait, people listening uh, to our voices. Just in general? Just over the whole thing, yeah. What's the number again? 101,086. 101,086 listen minutes. That comes out to that comes out to 70 days of straight listening to our voices. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I can barely listen to the episode in the car to make sure we didn't have any mistakes. <laughs> so thanks to everybody who out there is listening to our voices, listening to us ramble. 70 years of human attention. We appreciate it. Someone really smart said to me once, there's only yes. so much time. Thank you for yours. So thank you for your for all the time. I have one more thing I want to, one more number. You said you have two. So 
I have one and you have one. I'm really, I, I really enjoy looking at the global listener location. Go is very global. We just talked in the episode about the localization efforts, right? And how many people are from listening from different countries. And it's really fun to see the breakdown. You have only 30% from the United States, which is less than I would have thought there would be. Uh, and a lot of listeners in the EU region. I think maybe someone said once we, we give an EU perspective on things sometimes, which is, I don't know, I, I didn't think about it, but I'm not in the US, so maybe it is. Uh, I am an American, but I live in the EU, so I, I suppose I have an interesting uh, perspective. Yeah, so I, we interview people in this time zone normally, and we talk about conferences here, like sometimes, and, and I think, I, I talked about it in a recent episode, but the US uh, usually is the default country. All the movies are in New York, all the domains are in .com, and like whatever. Um, so it's fun to see that our audience is very global. And then you go to the top of the list and you see some things that make sense, right? UK, Germany, Canada. Israel is very high up with 2.5%, which makes sense because I'm from here and also it's a big tech like uh, country. And the Netherlands is right behind it. So your local community is listening as well. We have a lot of listeners from India, which is fun, 2%. And then, you know, the fun part is also going to the bottom of the list and, and seeing like, okay, we have a listener from uh, Bahrain. We have someone from Cayman Islands. We have someone from Jersey, which for some reason is a different country on the statistics. We have people from Monaco. We have someone from Somalia. Uh, we have Tunisia. And, you know, just as a side note, uh, Israel is, if you have been living under a rock, is uh, not having a great time right now. It's in a war and a lot of the countries that listen to this podcast, I can't travel to right now. So I, I think it's fun to see how common interest and just like normal people i'm not a politician or whatever can just listen to the show because i can't travel to belarus or lebanon right now but we have 0.02 percent listeners from lebanon so you know that's fun uh what what's the last number you wanted to share so i'm gonna change the tone just slightly the last number i want to share is 158 which is the number of euros mm -hmm. we spend to produce each episode it's not it's not a huge number but we you know we pay an editor we have a few other expenses too it's probably about 170 euros or something like that. The point of this is, if you're thinking about supporting the show, if you'd, if you'd like to support the show, buy a t-shirt, buy, buy a mug. It doesn't help a lot, but it helps. The other thing is, if your uh, workplace would be interested in sponsoring some episodes in the coming year, we would love to talk to you about that. We have some packages set up to sponsor a set number of episodes. So we're going to keep doing this, even if we don't get sponsors, even if you don't buy mugs. We enjoy doing this. Yeah, we, we would definitely appreciate your support as well. Just think about your company. If, you, if your company has a marketing department, it's a good chance to you know bridge that gap between engineering and marketing and be that uh, weird person who walks over to all the brightly hair-colored people in marketing and then try to talk to them. Just remember, they are normal humans. They are not developers. So you have to, you know, yeah. <laughs> ask them what's going on and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, so we are actively looking for sponsors. We'll restart the show next year. So you have time to reach out to us about that. So you could be buying a part of that 101,000 minutes in uh, our listeners' ears if, if you want. Yeah, and, you know, from our past uh, sponsors, thanks a lot for jumping on this journey this uh, last year. If you're wondering if uh, the sponsorship is worth it, just go talk to one of our sponsors. Uh, and I think first and foremost would be Koya, mm -hmm. who supported us quite a lot during the show and are still doing really good work in the serverless world. They're not paying us to say this. I, I, I'm a user. Um, so thanks a lot, yeah. Koya, for your continued support during this year. It was fun. It has been a blast. I hope to have another great year next year. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Yeah, next episode is episode number 45.
This is episode 44, so it's going to be 45. That's a lot. That's a lot, man. A year of going. A year of going. We'll see you all next year. So stick around for a super interesting interview with uh, John Bodner. And the last note we'll leave you on this uh, super long ad break, which didn't include any ads, um, (laughs) is that we are starting to line up interviews for next year. So if you want to come on the show or if you know someone who you'd like to hear on the show or a topic or whatever, we're going to put a thread in our Slack channel. Last time that worked really well. We found some super interesting people, which we wouldn't meet regardless, which we wouldn't meet in other ways. So if you want to come on the show or if you know someone or if your company is doing Go and wants you know some publicity, if you do something interesting, we'll just talk to us. We'll put a specific thread on that on our channel as well. So a good chance to join if you haven't joined already. All right. So stick around for the interview with uh, John. All right. See y'all. Welcome to our interview section. I am excited to be joined today by John Bodner. Welcome, John. Hey, welcome, Jonathan. Glad to be here. I'm glad you're here. I feel like I kind of halfway know you. I've read one of your books. We've emailed a few times, but I've never... uh, you know, put a face to the name, uh, you know, live. So it's really great to meet you. Yeah, same. So you have the second edition of a popular book coming out. Uh, and we're going to talk all about that. But before we do, I'd like to hear a little bit about what you do professionally, how you're involved in Go, how you got involved in Go, uh, what led up to the book. Sure. Um, so software engineer, my current title is staff engineer. I'm a Datadog. Um, I work on making it easier to onboard customers to our APM tools. I've uh, been doing software engineering professionally since 97. That's too many years for me to count at the moment. Um, 26 years. It's like six or seven, right? Yeah, it feels like it's like eight years tops possible. Um, unbelievable. Uh, it happened. Yeah, uh, I've been programming since I was in elementary school um, when computers were a lot less. So always loved to do it and was lucky enough that people would actually pay me to do this. Don't tell my boss that I would actually code for free. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so the been doing Go, I first, the day was announced, I actually like, caught like the, the announcement of Go like back in 2010 okay. um, saying this was all they, they show like they can compile the whole state of library in like a couple of minutes. Like this is kind of neat. And the people who are doing like this, this could be something. Um, didn't really get to use it for a few years that I, I built like my own Lisp in, in Go like eight, nine years ago. Did not a Real Lisp is like very small. And then probably like seven years ago, it was probably a first chance I got to start using it professionally when I was at Capital One. And just since then, been talking about it, been writing about it and using it. Actually, my day-to-day job, I don't write, I write some Go, write some C, write some other things, depends on what the job calls for. Cool. So you have a book, uh, the first edition came out, I don't remember when, 2020 maybe? I'm, I'm kind of guessing. 2021. 2021. Yeah, March, yeah. And uh, so the second edition is coming out in January. Correct. Uh, the book is Learning Go, an idiomatic approach to real-world Go programming. Uh, before we talk about the second edition, let's start with the first edition. How did you get to be the person to write this book? How, what, what's the story there? Um, it turns out knowing people is a useful thing. Um, <laughs> I've, so, Like I said, I've been starting programs when I was in elementary school, and I had like programming books from my Commodore 64, like, mapping the 64. Like, every memory location was described for a computer. That was amazing to me. That mm-hmm. was great. I always kind of wanted to write a book, and... I had actually approached Riley independently a couple of times. They said, don't call us, we'll call you. Um, then I spoke at a conference in New York in 2017, met someone on, who was on the Go team, Carmen Ando. We got to talking, met up with her again at another Go conference in Canada. And I mentioned in passing, let's write a book about Go. And then I was at GopherCon that, this, that same year. Carmen said, the editor from O'Reilly is down the hall. I told her you're the perfect person to write this book. Go talk to her. Nice. And so I met Zan. 
uh, we went to a baseball game that night. Uh, the Giants were playing San Diego, and we talked about it. She said, give me a proposal, and I did, and that was the beginning of the book. Very cool. It's just sort of like fate kind of coming together, it sounds like, uh, kind of from both sides. It, it worked out. Yeah, just got to make your own luck, I guess, in something. Yeah. Just like talk to enough people and be in the right place. And- yeah things will happen cool now of course you know that i've reviewed your book on my youtube channel i've written a, a review mm-hmm. of it because uh, i was looking earlier this year 2023 i was looking for a book i could recommend to to newcomers to go that uh, was up to date and yours came to the top of the list uh, because it was almost up to date because uh, you included generics which most of the there have been some really great books about go i'm sure you agree uh, but many of them are, are really outdated especially as quickly as go changes and you know generics were added just a couple of years ago and we've had modules added fairly recently and you know other big changes like that so yours came came to the top of the list of ones that i would recommend to somebody learning go but as you pointed out after i uh, published that review uh there were some uh i don't want to call them mistakes but some inconsistencies in the chapter about generics with how generics finally landed in go because you wrote the chapter before the final release yeah. So I can imagine that this is one of the motivations for the second edition. But why don't you tell me in your own words, why the second edition? Um, so, uh, so yeah, so the, the, the first edition in generics was actually, I, I actually spoke with a couple of people on the Go team and had them review the book about generics chapter in particular and say, hey, is this right? They said, yep, this is great. Publish the book. They said, oh, by the way, we changed our minds. <laughs> and then I had to, the revised edition and updated it so it was correct. But it's like, oh. yeah. Um, so, the book was successful. Like, you know, everyone, one of the first things that the editor at O'Reilly warned me about was like, you're not going to get rich writing a book. I'm like, oh, I know that. That, that, that wasn't a concern of mine. Um, but then it did really well. Like, it was, it was in the top five, top 10 at O'Reilly on O'Reilly Learning for months. Wow. Um, I'd sit there and like check the popularity numbers, like, oh, this is pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. And I'd get, you know, feedback. People say, hey, I'd love it if you had more examples or I'd like watch your features being added to go. I'm like, huh, so much really write about that. And I eventually just, wrote a letter to O'Reilly editor and said, hey, are you looking for a second edition? There's some things in here that, you know, I'd like to be able to fix up, some new features that are coming out. And they said, yeah, we'd like a second edition. Um, so I said, great. And so um, there, there were a bunch of things that had changed in Go. Um, fuzzing support was added. They, they cleaned up some of the um, unsafe stuff, actually. Workspaces being added for modules. I never really liked the first chapter I wrote it. It was like the first chapter is the first part of the book I wrote. And I went back and looked at it and said it was actually a pretty bad introduction to the language. So I went back and wanted to do that. Go's tool environment, like all, all the great tools make Go great to use. I didn't even really talk about them. So that, that felt like it deserved a chapter. There were a couple examples where I was like, oh, these aren't really good examples. Uh, people asked for things like exercises, like they wanted to like be able to test their knowledge and they wanted like more code samples to work from. I'm like, oh, those are all really good ideas. <laughs> so I should probably do those. And so, yeah, so it, it was a great chance to go back and you know, tweak things, expand things, some topics I didn't quite cover the first time. Yeah, I saw a pre-release uh, PDF version of the second edition and it, it looks a lot more, a lot fuller. You know, a, little, a few things are rearranged. Uh, there's a lot more information. It looks like a really good edition from my perspective. That's about 100 pages longer. Yeah. Um, of text so yeah didn't feel like that when i was writing it <laughs> did it feel worse or you feel like feel more or less less i'm like surprised where, where those extra 100 pages come from like there's a 30 pages of new chapter i don't know the other 70 pages came from. <laughs> how how much time did you spend maybe first on the first edition how how long of an effort was that it was a year um it was i started work in september 2019 the and like november 2020 was about the time that it was done and then it was released in march the following year this year was about the same amount. It was about a year for this also, but it was a lot less pressure on me. Like for the first book, it's every night, five, six nights a week, a couple mm-hmm. hours in the chair, mm-hmm. just writing or not writing or staring at it and trying to make the words come out. 
but this time I was like, oh, I can take a couple of days off here and there and get things going. And the schedule was still about the same. So it was not so bad. Yeah. What are your, I'm curious to hear your thoughts. So obviously the first edition wasn't such a, uh, a stressful experience that you're not doing it again because you did volunteer to do it again. What's it like? What's it, what, what's it feel like uh, writing a technical book like this? Uh, does it bring you joy? Is it stressful? We'll leave that open-ended. Um, I think it's a lot like having little kids where you forget how bad, you know, when you're going through, it's like, oh my God, this is awful. And then, um, then after a while, like, oh, so you get so nostalgic for it. My kids are, are almost, are almost grown. Yeah. So at this point it's, I can be nostalgic for when they were little and kind of forget some of the times when it was not as awesome. Um, like when it started off, it was great as, as the book, as the first edition was going on towards the end, it was kind of a slog. Um, I was like, I just have to finish this, have to finish this. In fact, one of the reasons for a bad example in the concurrency chapter, the last example in the first edition, um, I wrote it. One of my reviewers wrote back to me and said, this example is not very good. And I was like, I am so done with this book. I don't care. I'm just doing this example. <laughs> and, and then I was going to talk based on concurrency for a users group. And I started to pull the text out of that chapter, of course, to make my slides for the talk. And I'm like, oh my God, this example is awful. Why did I let this get into the book? <laughs> and the reason was I, I was just done. Yeah. So the second edition, it was like so it was much easier pace. So it was less that feel for stress. It was none of that needing to prove myself like this has to be a good book. Like some of the initial feedback I had from the first few reviewers on Learning Go for the first edition was they thought they were getting something like effective C++ or effective Java. They didn't understand what the book really was. No one's really wants to read a book like this. So that was like, huh, that's not really great feedback when you're first starting out. But now with the second edition, like I know people, there's an audience for it. So it feels better. It's a little bit easier to do this because you know there are people who do want to read it. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So how has the second edition writing process compared to the first? You said it's, it's easier or less pressure. Has it been tough? You know, are you going to look back and be nostalgic again, even though it's been difficult this time around? Or was that the first edition sort of thing? This wasn't so bad, actually. I think um, I had no moments of, oh, my God, please make this end. It was more. No, it was mostly me trying to make sure I'm, I'm covering things enough, not getting too verbose, make sure I'm covering the right topics. Um, I wanted, for example, to include a section on templates in Go, because oh, as yeah. far as I know, there's no great documentation on templates out there. And I thought, I get this couple of pages in the, in the tools chapter, and I start writing it. I'm like, no, this is like at least its own chapter. And it's like, oh, I have to pull it. That's almost its own language on its own, isn't it? Absolutely. It's starting complete, right? Yeah. It has loops. It has... Yeah. So do you think that will be uh, your next book, uh, Go Templating? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I've been wondering what to do next. Um, if I'm going to do like maybe like little topics on Go instead of trying to cover a whole book each time. Because mm-hmm. um, even, even with this one, I was trying to be very good at delayed publication until 122 because of the new features with the four range loop mm-hmm. um, where it creates a new value each time. And then they sneak one more thing into four range functionality after I was done with the book. And so that, I missed that. So the people who don't know, 122 will let you do a four range up to a number. Mm-hmm. So you can say for i colon equals range five, and it'll count from zero to four. That's not in the book, but I found out about that a little bit too late to make it in there. Yeah, yeah. All right. That means there's going to have to be a third edition. Are you going to sign up for that one too? <laughs> we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. You got to wait at least a couple of years to let, let them uh, add uh, enough uh, new things and then, uh, and then break your book right at the last minute yeah. again. <laughs> maybe if, if they add some types, maybe that'll be the time. There we to, go. Uh, yes, yes. All right, jumping back to first edition. Now, one of the things I uh, I thought was interesting when I was reading the first edition uh, in writing my review is you spent two pages talking about Complex 64 and Complex 128. <laughs> and I have never met anybody, to my knowledge, who's ever used either of those data types. Have you? <laughs> no. In fact, I tell people not to use it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm, I'm a little bit curious, why so much, so many pages, so many words on these features that, that should be used? I mean, I, it's worthwhile mentioning, of course, because they're there. But you spend a lot of time, more than I think any other book I've read on the topic. Part of the reason is because no other book talks about it. Okay. Uh, there's, also, there's also a bunch of pages on GoTo. Yes. And did it, does it deserve two pages? 
Probably not. Um, not in the first edition, where it's like out of three hundred something pages. But now it's a hundred pages longer, so it's the same. It's the same number of pages in a smaller percentage of the book. Yeah. I, I think it's. I, I think okay. I, I can kind of defend it a little bit by saying it's interesting that Go included this. Like there are like you, you see a language and like there's thought process. Like what should we put into a language? Mm-hmm. The answer is Ken Thompson would be kind of cool to add this in there. And people who make languages, they they put stuff in because I think this might be cool, yeah. and they can be horribly wrong. And also, why is this still in there? Because it's not worth removing it. And just because you see a misfeature in a language, just ignore it. It's right. okay. Um, so I can justify by saying, yeah, there's a corner here. Don't. It's, it should know that they happen. All right. All right. I'll buy that. At least I've used GoTo, I think, once. I almost used it in an Advent of Code problem this okay. week. And then I decided not to do it. Yeah. I've certainly seen it used a few times. Uh, as far as actually using it myself, I think once. But all right. Well, I, I like that explanation about Complex 64 and 128. On that topic, one of the questions we like to ask all of our interviewees is if you could if you were forced to remove something from go what would it be and i don't want to make it too easy i don't want you to say complex numbers because that's off the table we're already assuming that that's going to go away sometime what else would you remove from the language dot imports oh yes that is this actually came up at work as a problem for a library that we're using Mm -hmm. um but yeah dot imports are just a bad idea in general because the whole point of imports in Go is you have this namespace before it from the package name that you're importing that you're able to actually look at your code and know this came from somewhere else. Now a dot import just pulls that stuff into your current namespace and that's horrible. It doesn't really solve it. They've been trying to solve that same problem with the aliases later. I'm not sure oh. what the actual thinking was on dot imports being added to the language besides it. probably it seemed like a good idea at the time. I was recently bitten by dot imports on a, on a legacy project I was working on and I tried to create a, a symbol. I don't remember if it was a function or a, or a type or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it was called, I can't remember what it was called. It was called Slug, S-L-U-G. And I couldn't do it because it conflicted with an import name in a different file in the same package. Or it wasn't an import name, it was mm-hmm. a dot .import. Something dot .imported that same symbol <laughs> in a different file in the same package. And I, it took me a while to figure that one out. Yeah, it, It's so against the spirit of Go yeah. that it's surprising it's, it made it in there in the first place. And it, it can't go away now, right? Because you'll break the language because there's exactly. three files out there in the world that are using it. Exactly, exactly. The Go 1 compatibility promise, I love it and I hate it at the same time. Yes. Yeah, I'm glad they found a way around it with the uh, for loop stuff yeah. for 122. Yeah, I agree. So let's flip that question around. If you could add something to Go, what would it be? So this is something I'm actually trying to do right now. Maybe this help me help me make my pitch for this thing to happen. All right. So like I mentioned, I work for Datadog. Uh, we collect, we do system monitoring, and one of the things that I work on is a team that does traces. And for a lot of languages, you can just add the tracer. It's open telemetry or Datadog. Either is fine at runtime, and it will start generating traces out of your application. And for Go, you can't really do this easily. So there are some things that people do that are kind of horrible, horrible C-level hacks or eBPF hacks, and that lets you get access to compiled code at runtime and start instrumenting it automatically. But they're horrible hacks. Mm -hmm. And in Go, really the better way is just to do it at development time. But the people who care about monitoring systems are the people who usually write the code at larger companies. So it's hard to get the people who write the code to put that stuff in in the first place. Mm -hmm. So it would be nice if there was some kind of built-in support for things like tracing in the standard library. And I've actually been playing with some ideas around how this could be added in in a way that would be not Agnostic. I'm, I'm not trying to build in like Datadog support into the standard library. I'm trying to build tracing support into the standard library. Related to this would be the plugin application binary interface. Go does mm-hmm. support plugins on Linux. Mm-hmm. It's not used a lot. And one of the reasons it's not used a lot is because the ABI isn't stable. So for a plugin to work with an application, it both have to be compiled with the exact same version of Go down to the patch level. Mm-hmm. And that's not feasible for anything that's public. Right. So if they would stabilize that ABI, it could do a lot of very clever things with plugins to let you extend the application at runtime. That would, I think... Add things like trace support would be very nice. Other functionality that could be added at runtime and let Go have some of that support that you have in other languages. Really cool. Yeah, that would be nice. Um, so, so is your proposal specifically about 
the plugin ABI or is it about adding tracing support and, and that sort of a dependency on it? The focus is on the tracing support, um, adding the just bake into the language, into the standard library, the, stand, the, ser- the HTTP server, the HTTP client, and the database libraries. So it's like the ability to report back out that, yes, something happened here. And then how do you get that back to the thing that's listening to your code? You need some sort of plugin mechanism at runtime that you could attach that would do that. And the plugin API is one possibility. Maybe looking at Seago is another way to do that, but Seago is kind of a dirty word. So <laughs> Fair enough, yeah. All right. Well, John, I'm I'm really glad you came on today. It was a pleasure to meet you. Let's talk about how people can find the book and find you and anything else you think that they should find. Maybe this proposal. Maybe there's not a link for it yet, but not yet. Soon. So yeah, um, social media. LinkedIn is probably the place where I can be found the most. I'm on Mastodon barely. Um, other social media I don't really use, but LinkedIn. If you look for John Bodner, I'm there. Um, the book is available. From O'Reilly, or if you go to O'Reilly Learning, you can already see the preview copies of the book. It's already actually, the second edition preview is actually really popular. I'm, again, pleasantly surprised. Um, it'll be available in bookstores in January. Uh, Amazon already has it on the page for Learning Go that there's a newer edition coming out. Should be mid-January for that. There's translated, the first edition has been translated into a bunch of languages already. I assume the same thing will happen with the second edition eventually. So for people who are non-native English speakers, um, um, Chinese, Japanese, Korean, Polish, I think was done. So yeah. Well, I'm excited for the new uh, edition of the book. I'll probably be doing uh, my own updated review of that one uh, beginning of next year. Uh, so thank you for writing it. Oh, <laughs> thank you for reading it and reviewing it and having me on here. <laughs> Thanks for coming. It's been a pleasure. I hope to stay in touch. Thanks. All right. Likewise. Until next time. Bye.